Um, well, praise the Lord, and it's uh, it's um, really good to be back together again at the first day of the week and to um, spend some time in the Word of God. So, as uh, as you would have gathered from the passage that Brother Nitish read from, you know, we are um, we are going to be uh, turning our attention this morning to the uh, to the uh, book of Isaiah, and uh, you know, I just uh, I just uh, think it'll be good. Uh, though that uh, while uh, before we get into that, that uh, we go back and set a little bit of context in where we are in the uh, in the whole Council of God series. So we are uh, maybe a little less than maybe about a third of the way through, maybe a little more than a third, somewhere between a third and a half uh, of the of the way through uh, the you know the 51 series, and uh, um, you know and uh, and it's very important to understand these are not just uh, you know uh, one-off individual messages but rather uh, it's a, it's really something we are trying to do to help us to uh, um, you know to um, uh, to to get a full view of, of scripture and so uh, what uh, what I'd like to do first before we get into the uh, the lesson is to uh, which today's lesson is called Isaiah and the holiness of God and I was thinking as we you know when we started off the meeting, uh, you know, Brother Marmon really uh, spoke about this, about the holiness, about the glory of God. We've had the same thought come to us through uh, other brothers who have spoken as well. Uh, and uh, we're going to delve into the subject, um, you know, uh, in, in depth here, using Isaiah 6 uh, as the base for it. But before we do that, I just want to go back and, uh, you know, our, uh, our Rebbe Chain calls this the bird's eye view. So you've got the bird's eye view and then the worm's eye view. Now, some of you may prefer the worm's eye view. You want to go down into the depths, but but uh, in this series where, you know, we're trying to give you a, 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 a bird's eye view. Uh, and certainly we would encourage you. Uh, many of you have never been through the Old Testament. Uh, many of you have never had this kind of a systematic study, trying to put all the puzzle pieces together as we talked about in January at the beginning of the series. And I hope that as you see this, you can see some of the themes running through. You get a better understanding of where these books fit in. And uh, and this is only going to be useful if every one of us starts going into it, right? So, so we encourage you to go into the depths of some of these books. You know, we can only touch things at a high level. We can touch certain selected topics, but, but we will try to relate it back to the, the full picture. So we started off with the with the foundational books, uh, uh, as you know, and then we we moved on to um, uh, to the uh, um, you know uh, the, the, some of the lessons we studied about, and we saw these are the foundational truths uh, on which uh, you know the rest of the Old Testament, in fact, rest of Scripture for that matter, all of Scripture is uh, is founded on. And uh, some of the key lessons we studied there were about uh, God as the Creator. We studied about the fall, which explains. Uh, you know, the current situation, the current state that we are in. We talked about the flood and God's judgment. So we see these themes of God's creative power. We see the theme of sin coming in the fall. We see the theme of God's judgment coming in the flood. And then we see the theme of God's redemption coming in the call of Abraham, right? And the covenant that God made to Abraham. And then we see the theme of God's sovereignty when we looked at, at Joseph's life and how God's sovereignty is not about you and me. Uh, it's about his plan for the ages, right? It's about how he is using the, 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 the different events and the different actions of individuals, fallen individuals in a sin-cursed earth, in a fallen world to still fulfill his greater purposes, right? Through us, through others, through all the circumstances, through history. And then we saw again uh, in uh, the theme of redemption, uh, when we looked in Exodus and the plagues and how God brought the children of Israel out. And then we saw about the law, right? When we talked about Exodus and Leviticus, the law and the sacrifices and, and how we as sinners are to approach God as a redeemed people. And those are some of the foundational truths that, that we studied about in, um, in the, in, 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 as we went through the first five uh, books of the Bible, commonly known as the Pentateuch. So having set that foundational Truth. Then we went down uh, right here. I hope you can see my pointer there uh, into the historical books, right? So now the children of Israel have come, uh, you know, they've come through the wilderness journey. They've come into the promised land. 
And you can see that we have uh, we looked at a few selected topics that uh, you know that 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 advance the narrative, the historical narrative, right? And and in this historical section is where we see the children of Israel trying to live out the foundational truths, right? They're trying to, uh, in many ways, struggling to implement these foundational truths in their life. We looked at the times of the judges and uh, one of the lessons that, uh, that we studied there is that faith is not genetic, that we have to make our faith our own. You know, it's not hereditary. It's not handed down from, from father and mother to, uh, to their children, right? We have to make this uh, our own. And we saw that the children of Israel didn't do that. And so they departed and they kept going back and forth you know, coming back to the Lord when when they were judged, uh, when they were uh, when they were under judgment, uh, but but this continued on, and then um, uh, you know as we moved on, we came into the 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 time of the United Kings, right? Again, advancing the narrative a little further, we looked at Hannah's prayer, which I spoke about a few months ago, back in in April, I believe, and we saw about God being King and and God as the Redeemer and God as the uh, as the Rock of our salvation and then we moved on into the 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 story of david right and we looked at a couple of lessons there david and goliath you know which was sort of the the highlight in david's life and then we also looked at david's sin right confrontation and confession and we looked at how the children of israel through their kings through their uh, the people themselves were sort of working through trying to implement these foundational truths in their life and then Last week, uh, Jobin, uh, Brother Jobin spoke about Elijah. Now we are mo moving into the king's divided segment. And, uh, you know, Elijah was a prophet to the northern kingdom. So the kingdom of Israel divided up into the northern kingdom, commonly called Samaria or Israel, and then the southern kingdom, commonly known as Judah. And, um, you know, and we saw how that was a time where the children of Israel, um, you know, went away from the Lord and they started mixing with the religions of the day. Right, the religions of the heathen that God had very much, very clearly instructed them in these foundational books. You know, he gave them this truth, the law through Moses and the practices through Moses to tell them that they were not to mix with the local people. They were not to adopt their religious practices. They were not to go after their gods, but we see that they failed. And we talked about uh, the syncretism where they tried to mix in Baal with Jehovah, with Yahweh and the, the, the consequences of that. So that's sort of where we are in our story, and we're going to move it further today. Uh, and of course, you know, along with that historical narrative comes these instructional books, right? So, so what are these instructional books? We've studied a few of them. Uh, I'll talk about that in a second here. But these are basically as the children of Israel are living through this history, you know, God provides instruction through poetical books and through prophetic books where he's either um, you know, uh, uh, giving them certain positive aspects of their life, uh, showcasing positive aspect of their life. Those happen in the poetic books or warnings, judgments, uh, instruction, correction, reproof coming through the prophets, right? And, and these don't necessarily, while to some extent there's a little bit of history in them, for the most part, they are speaking into that history that's contained in, the, in Joshua, Judges, Ruth, and the Kings and the Chronicles, and Ezra, Nehemiah, and Esther, right? And um, and we saw some lessons from there. We couldn't pick all of these, but we we looked at the Psalms, right? We looked at uh, a couple of the lessons from the Psalms, uh, God's provision and protection, Psalm 23, and then uh, David's um, confrontation, confession. So you see how how there, you know, in the historical book, there's a narrative of how David sinned, and in the Psalms, there's a, a instructional literature there which talks about, you know, David's heart as he, as he went through this and as he confessed his sins, as he was confronted with that sin and he confessed it and returned back to the Lord and he pleads to the Lord for, you know, for forgiveness. And then we looked at the Proverbs, right, which again are wisdom literature uh, in the lesson on the wise and the foolish that I believe Prithvi talked, about, talked to us about. Last uh, few weeks ago, you know, Brother Gene talked to us about suffering and then we went back, right? So, the, the book of Job, the actual period is somewhere right here in that foundational period, very early, one of the earliest books in the Bible. And, and as we go through this, we are seeing common themes around the sovereignty of God, common themes around the holiness of God, common themes around sin and salvation. And, and this, uh, you know, as we go through this, I hope it gives you a little bit of a, of a sense of where we are. 
right? And so now we've we've advanced now, and we are coming to you know to the uh, uh, to the uh, prophetic books and the prophetic books. You can see I'm not going to go into this in detail, but you know there are some before the exile, and what what has happened is that you know as the as we go through the maybe I'll just go back for a second here, and you can see that what happens is that uh, the um, the the children of Israel, you know, the northern kingdom goes into judgment, right? They go into judgment with Assyria. The Assyrians are sent by God, and then they are scattered, right? And then eventually, about 120 years later, the the kingdom of Judah is taken captive to Babylon, uh, and uh, and that's judgment they have because of their sin. So we're going to spend a little bit of time understanding that context uh, because that's important to understand how the prophets operate and how they speak into uh, this history. And uh, I've just marked and read some of the prophets. So the next few weeks, we're going to be focusing on some of these prophets. So you can see, you know, we're going to talk about Hosea and Habakkuk and uh, Micah and Ezekiel and Daniel and Haggai and Malachi, all of these things. Some of them are after the exile. Some of them, most of them are before the exile. Some of them are during the exile while the children of Judah, the, the kingdom of Judah are in exile in Babylon. That's Ezekiel and Daniel. Uh, but the message of these prophets are very important. They are warnings to, to the people. They are sort of calling them back to these foundational truths from which they have strayed far away because of their, you know, because of their, uh, uh, because of their uh, syncretism and because they have mixed in with the Baals. And so, um, so that's sort of where we are today. And we are coming to the book of, of Isaiah. So just to set a little bit of context about Isaiah, what we find about Isaiah is that, you know, Isaiah is a time, and by the way, you've got your outline, you can follow along a lot of the, uh, the points in the PPT are going to be very, very much matching with the, uh, with the outline. So you can, uh, uh, you can fill it out. Uh, and, uh, you know, I hope, I hope that's helping. And I really appreciate the work that Tobin and Sujay and others are doing in providing us with these outlines every every week and especially when they have to deal with uh, you know preachers who provide it to them very late on a Saturday afternoon and they still somehow manage to uh, to do that and get it done and get it edited and formatted and then uh, you know our brother Shalu uh, perhaps and maybe some others were translating it into Hindi so we really appreciate that service I think uh, uh, you know if uh, if you haven't already please thank these brothers. Uh, for their for their labor of love. So uh, when we look at the the time of uh, of Isaiah, I talked about that it was in the divided kingdom. Uh, Israel and Judah are going deeper and deeper into sin. They're going deeper and deeper into syncretism, and that syncretism is getting getting worse. And then you know, Jobin uh, spoke to us last week about syncretism. I'm not going to get into that, but it's important for us to understand that that this problem of syncretism is not something that was unique to the nation of Israel, to the people of Israel, but it's actually something that's that's very common in our life today, right? So we, we uh, you know, uh, we have to apply it to ourselves and look at the extent to which we are obedient to the word of God. We've been given all these foundational truths. When we get to the New Testament, you know, we will expand. We will, we will, um, uh, we will expand on those foundational truths in the first five books and bring in the foundational truths about the church which are very similar. And that's one of the things, you know, when we say God is a God who never changes, he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. I was, I'm amazed as I go through the Old Testament, which is what I'm reading these days in my quiet time. I'm in the book of Deuteronomy. Um, you know how a lot of the truths that are contained there are repeated again. There's nothing new in the New Testament that God didn't already reveal in the Old Testament to the people of Israel. Uh, and so we as well, you know, we tend to mix, you know, we are in the world, we are influenced by the world. We, we have a fallen uh, part of our nature, which, you know, there's a battle going on within us. And, and what the Lord desires is, is obedience more than sacrifice. That's what he, he told, uh, um, you know, to Saul, right, through the prophet Samuel. Um, and we need to examine every area of our life, you know, whether it's in our, in our jobs, whether it's in our educational choices, whether it's in the way we live our life, whether it's in how we, uh, how we spend our time. You know, we have a lot of syncretism going on. We are so influenced by the world and God is calling us out of that. He's saying, return to me. He's saying, you know, live your life according to the word. So this is not something for us to look back and say, oh, those children of Israel, they were so wicked. How could they have done that? How could they have strayed from the Lord when they saw all these miracles? You know, despite all the blessings that we have in Christ yet, 
you know, and we're going to talk about what God wants from us, what the Holy God wants from us. And so in the Northern Kingdom, you know, we have one evil king after the other and the, and the Lord punishes them, right? And I'm not going to read this. I want to read it, but, but uh, I see the time is going. So I encourage you to go and read 2 Kings 17, verses 7 to 18. And in that, you see that God has punished these, these children of Israel. Eventually, the Northern Kingdom was conquered by Assyria. And, and he punishes them simply because they have violated the covenant, because they have broken the covenant. The covenant, the Mosaic covenant was a conditional covenant. God promised to bless them if they obeyed his commandments. And they failed utterly. They went after the, the Asherahs and the Baals and they built those uh, calves. And God gives a, a, a very eloquent indictment of them in 2 Kings 17. I encourage you to do a little bit of homework. Go to 2 Kings 17 and read that chapter. That's, that's where... Uh, you know, the Assyrian uh, kingdom comes in and they capture them and then they are scattered. And then we never hear about these 10 tribes anymore, right? In fact, in his history, there's always this, this notion of the 10 lost tribes of Israel. You know, unlike Judah, who got taken away and the Babylonians kept them intact in Babylon. And then eventually, you know, under Cyrus and, um, uh, and the Persian kings, they were allowed to come back and resettle in the land. Uh, you know, we don't see any record in scripture of these 10 tribes returning back as a group. They were just scattered all over the Assyrian kingdom and they ended up going to all parts of the world. Uh, but, you know, God is the God of covenant and he's also a God of judgment for sin. And the Assyrians, they brought foreigners into Samaria and resettled them. And so they were trying to mix things up, bring in foreigners, you know, to mix with the Jews and trying to dilute the truths, those foundational truths that, that we talked about. And meanwhile, in the Southern kingdom, you know, we had, a, we had a mix of good kings and evil kings. And there were four kings. There was Uzziah, who's also known as Azariah. Some of these kings have multiple names. And all of you, many of you, uh, uh, you uh, men especially, you know, especially Malayali men, they tend to have two names, right? You have the, uh, the, the formal name and the pet name. And sometimes, um, you know, uh, you don't even know that they have another name. So Uzziah, Azariah, these were quite common in the, in the, in the, in the nation of Israel as well, that the kings or the people there might have two names that they were known by. Uh, and then his son, Jotham, they were both good kings. But one thing that, that, that we keep finding when we read in the kings is that it, it says something about this king. He was good. He walked in the ways of his father, David. But it always there's always a but. And the but is usually that the high places were not removed, the high places of Baal, right? And so they didn't completely destroy the, the, the things that were, that were the elements of syncretism. And they allowed that to continue, and God condemns that. And next we have Ahaz, who is a really wicked king, and then followed by Hezekiah, who was a good king, not just a good king, he was a great king. And, uh, you know, we don't have time in the series to go in-depth into it, but I encourage you to go and study each of these kings. And so we find Isaiah coming into the picture, and Isaiah is a, is a, is a prophet who prophesied in the pre-exilic period, primarily to the kingdom of Judah, uh, and uh, he prophesied during the reign of Uzziah or Azariah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah. And some of his contemporaries were Micah, who was another prophet in Judah. And we will look at Micah a little later in another, another message. And then Hosea and Amos were prophesying at the same time in the northern kingdom. And if you really want to delve into this, you know, uh, Brother John Varghese has a, has a really good chart that shows all of the kings in Israel and Judah and the, the prophets that are contemporaries of it, and that'll really help you to put all of them together. Because in the scriptures, they all appear in different places, and it's very hard to relate them. So if you're looking at what a prophet is speaking about, you need to go back to the, the history in the book of the Kings and Chronicles to really you know, uh, understand the two side by side. So the book of Isaiah is really a wonderful book. It's a very unique book among the prophecies. It's one of the most quoted books uh, in the New Testament. It is dominated with themes of God's holiness and judgment and redemption. Uh, and it has the clearest picture of Christ and, and, um, and, and what it means to be a follower of Christ and not only that of the work of Christ. So uh, when we look at the book of Isaiah, uh, it's not just a prophecy into that time, but it's also a prophecy of the future uh, of the Messianic kingdom, of the Messiah himself, the the work and the, the, the life of the Messiah. And our brother Raven next week is going to talk about Isaiah. We're going to have two messages in Isaiah, this one today, and then next week 
Brother Raymond will talk about Isaiah and the suffering servant, and the suffering servant is Christ. And, uh, you know, Raymond and I have discussed this, and he's going to give you a little bit more of an outline of Isaiah and the different sections of Isaiah so that we can understand that book better. So as we look at this, we come to, you know, chapter six, which is probably a, a, a very well-known passage in the in the prophecy of Isaiah. And this is Isaiah has a vision, right? And uh, we'll just spend our time here looking through these verses in the next uh, next few minutes. And it says it starts off in this way. If you can follow uh, in Isaiah six, verse, verse one, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne high and lifted up and the train of his robe filled the temple. So here we see Isaiah is given a vision and it's not just any vision. It is a vision of the throne room of God and he's allowed to see God. Now, you know, seeing God is a very rare occurrence in the scriptures, right? Um, uh, and uh, it's not something that happens commonly. You know, we have, we have stories of Moses seeing God. We have others seeing um, maybe a pre-incarnate appearance of Christ, but this vision of, of uh, a vision of being able to see the actual throne room of God, the very presence of God, uh, you know, it's very rare, right? And what, what does Isaiah see? He says here that I saw the Lord sitting on a throne high and lifted up and the uh, train of his robe filled the temple. Okay. So the Lord is sitting on a throne high and lifted up and, uh, and then he goes on to describe and he says above it, that is above the throne stood seraphim. Now these seraphim are some, some winged creatures. And it says here, gives us a description here. It says each one had six wings with two, he covered his face with two, he covered his feet and with two, he flew. All right. So here we have these, these six winged creatures and the word seraphim literally means burning ones. Okay. Burning ones. And they don't appear anywhere else in scripture. We read about the cherubim in other places in revelation and um, and and they are uh, they are fire okay they're literally fire and they are burning right so burning they are the burning ones and the closest we see to the to these are the four living creatures in revelation and and what are these seraphim doing uh, they are crying out right they are they are they are speaking and and what do they speak they speak uh, verse uh, 3 holy 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 is the lord of hosts the whole earth is full of his glory. And what happens when the seraphim speak? Verse 4 says, the posts of the door were door were shaken by the voice of him who cried out, and the house was filled with smoke. So he's saying, talking about one seraphim crying out to the other, holy, holy, holy is the Lord uh, of hosts, and the whole earth is full of his glory. And when each seraphim is speaking, um, you know, the, 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 the foundations uh, of the throne room of heaven are shaking. Right. And the and the temple, it says here is filled with smoke. So, you know, I, I get the image here that 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 God, uh, you know, and the prophet here is trying to describe something that's almost indescribable. Right. And if you go to Revelation chapter four, you know, you find the same kind of very similar descriptions. This is probably the other uh, detailed description we see of the throne room of God. And I'll just quickly uh, just uh, read a few verses from Revelation chapter 4, verses uh, 2 through 5, it says, I was in the spirit and behold, a throne set in heaven. Same picture here. And one sat on the throne. Again, similarities there. And he who sat was like a jasper and a sardius stone in appearance. And there was a rainbow around the throne. It gives a little more detail. In appearance like an emerald. Around the throne were 24 thrones. And on the thrones I saw 24 elders sitting clothed in white robes. And they had crowns of gold on their head. And from the throne proceeded lightnings and thunderings and voices. So look at this again, lightnings, thunderings, voices. Um, seven lamps of fire were burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits. And, and before the throne, there was a sea of glass and it goes on, uh, talks about the living creatures, right? There are four living creatures full of eyes in front and in back. Uh, the first living creature was like um, a lion and goes on to verse eight. The four living creatures, each having six wings. So just like those seraphim, doesn't call them seraphim here, but they have six wings and, um, and, and they do not rest day or night. And what are they doing? They're saying, holy, holy, holy Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. And then when you go to uh, Exodus 20, I'm not going to go there. Exodus 19, Exodus 20, we see that as the children of Israel were at the mountain of Horeb or the Mount Sinai, and they were there to receive the, the law and there was thunderings and lightnings and fire 
and it's a fantastic image. Uh, and um, and I think the prophet and the writers of the book here are, are 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 struggling to really describe it. I think whatever we are reading here is is giving us some image, but it's not, but it's really not sufficient, right? And what were the seraphim saying? They were saying, "Holy, holy, holy, a thrice holy God. God is not just holy. God is not just holy, holy. He is holy, holy, holy." It speaks of the fullness of the majesty of God and of His power. The whole earth is full of his glory. And what does holy mean? You know, when we think of holy, um, you know, Jobin spoke about holiness from Leviticus a, a few months ago. And there the focus was a lot on, on one aspect of holiness, which is, which is being set apart or, 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 or um, you know, or, or being separate from sin. And certainly that is an aspect of holiness, but that's a negative aspect. That's saying what God is not. God is not sin. He is separate from sin, but here we see something more. We see a positive aspect because it says here, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory, right? So uh, not only is he separate from sin, but God is perfection. God is glorious, okay? There's holiness and there's glory and, and glory and holiness are, the, are opposite sides of the same coin. Glory is the visible representation of God's whole holiness is not something you can see holiness is something that's that's internal right but his glory that's described here you know all this thunderings and the lightnings and you know when we think about uh, when we use terms in in the in, in English or any language and we say you know the queen of England appeared in all her glory right we're talking about the pomp and the circumstance and and and, and the trumpets and the um, you know the, those are just human images Okay, God, God's glory is much more than that. But, but the glory, uh, which is a visible representation, is a visible representation of God's holiness. And when we look at God's glory in scripture, it's seen as a bright light. It's described as crashes of lightning. It is heard as peals of thunder. And, uh, and, 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 and you know, the, the psalmist describes, he says, the heavens declare the glory of God, you know, and the firmament showeth forth his handiwork, all of creation is declaring the glory of God. But the point I want to make here is that, is that, you know, the holiness of God, okay, this attribute of God, his holiness encapsulates all of his other attributes. He encapsulates its, his purity. It encapsulates his power. It encapsulates his love. And when you look at, you know, the, any, every scene, that we look at the two scenes of the throne room of heaven, you know, yes, God is love. Yes, God is perfect. Yes, God is, um, um, you know, God is compassionate. Yes, God is merciful. But, you know, we don't see the seraphim. We don't see the heavenly beings crying out love, 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 or, or mercy, 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 or, or compassion, compassion, compassion. He is all of those things, but we see them crying out holy, holy, holy. And I think God is trying to tell us that, you know, through his word here, through this revelation, through the vision given to Isaiah and the vision given to the Apostle John in, in Revelation that, that ultimately, you know, all of his attributes are encapsulated in his holiness. And we need to really grasp in our lives the, the truth of the holiness of God. So how does this holiness of God impact us? You know, what is your view of God? What is my view of God? Do we understand the glory and the holiness of God? Do we realize how big uh, the 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 um, uh, the God, the, the holiness, uh, how, how big is the power of God? How big he is? How powerful our God is? You know, how often, you know, when we go through troubles and tribulations in our life and, and, and because of our sin, you know, because of the limitations of our flesh and because of our lack of vision, our lack of hearing, God shrinks in our mind. He loses power. He becomes unable to save and he becomes irrelevant to our everyday life. How relevant is God uh, in your life, you know, our tendency is to is to give God, give Him Sunday morning. It is not to give Him uh, our lives. You know, we want to give Him our soul and say, "God, save me," but we don't want to give Him our lives. You know, who is this God? Who is this Yahweh that we've been studying about from Genesis now through Isaiah? This Yahweh, this God of Isaiah six, is the God of creation who created reality uh, merely by speaking. He is a Yahweh of the flood 
who is uh, who who had a word covered the highest peaks with water he is a yahweh who rescued his children from egypt by a with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm who parted the red sea and brought them through he is the yahweh who raises the dead he is the yahweh who one day will destroy everything that you and i see and will create a new heaven and a new earth this is the yahweh before whom the seraphim speak and the foundations of the temple shake is that your god you know i know we are going through many of us are going through problems in our life you know you're struggling with challenges today maybe it's your health maybe it's your job but are you making your god too small you know we we have all these analogies of god right we think of god as a father and there's nothing wrong with that you know god himself jesus himself talks about you know your earthly fathers give you bread how much more will your heavenly father but you know sometimes these analogies they limit our thinking you know and and we think that god is there to just give us everything we want but do we understand who he is you know god doesn't owe me and you anything god doesn't even need to look down upon us because he is he is glorious he is holy he's seated on his throne i mean he, because of his holiness the foundations uh, shake you know he is fire he is uh, he is majesty he is all glory <clears throat> and if you are struggling today you know i encourage you to go back to looking at this god as a god of holiness <clears throat> and a god of of glory is that the god that you serve is that the god is that the image of god in your mind god is not some some benevolent um you know benevolent uh, being sitting there to just give us you know and and take care of our every problem to yes he takes care of our problems yes he guides us but he is a sovereign god he has a plan he does things according to that plan let's go back and examine our image of this god and moving to the second point we have three points here that we learn from isaiah's vision the second is that is that he is a god of judgment a god is not only a holy god but he's also a god of judgment he's a god of judgment sin cannot stand in his presence and let's look at that verse 5 of isaiah 6 and here is isaiah's response as he sees the scene in the throne room of heaven he says woe is me for i am undone because i am a man of unclean lips and i dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips for my eyes have seen the king the lord of hosts he is a god of judgment sin cannot stand in his presence and that's that's why the reaction you see the reaction of the people of israel i don't have time to read it but you go to deuteronomy chapter 5 verse 23 to 27 you know the children of israel are waiting there in mount sinai and and they've cleansed themselves and they've got these boundaries and 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 they see the thunderings and the lightnings and and then they 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 sort of few of them go and they have a little you know heart to heart talk with moses and they're like moses you know what um, you know we know that you're close to god and you're you're sort of tight with god moses uh, you're the big guy and you know what we will do whatever the lord says you know but please don't don't make us come and see the presence of god because they're like you know we've seen some element of the presence of god and somehow we are still alive you know but we don't want to test this god we don't want to come and, and behold this glory you you moses you know you you you're special to god why don't you just go up and why don't you bring the law back bring back whatever whatever god tells you you come back to us tell us and we will obey okay that was their reaction when they saw the glory of god in ezekiel chapter 1 verse 28 you know ezekiel also sees a vision okay of of heaven and it says that he fell on his face he says i fell on my face why do all these people respond in this way it is because god's holiness illuminates sin god's holiness illuminated isaiah's sin you know isaiah is sitting here in the presence of god seeing in this vision the throne room of god and 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 he falls flat and he cries out woe is me for i am undone i am done i'm finished i am i am history i am uh, you know i am going to be incinerated because why because i am a man of unclean lips the holiness of god is revealing to me how unclean i am how unworthy i am to be in the very presence of this holy god for what my eyes have seen the king the lord of hosts you know seeing god's glory we see the real state of our depravity we see the real state of our weakness we see what a failure we are and we cannot take our sin lightly you know why do we take sin lightly 
you know, because we have not known God as he truly is, you know, those of, those of us who have fallen to sin, whatever sin, maybe it's, maybe it's a sin of, you know, of, of, of damaging our bodies. Maybe it's a sin of, uh, you know, of, of fornication or adultery or whatever, you know, you can go from the least sins to the worst sins. You know, can you imagine doing those sins if you really had an image of the holiness of God and God and, and you were beho- you were in that throne room of God and, and you imagine that you're there and you picture that you're there and you're beholding all this thundering and lightning and all of that, you know, would you still proceed with that? You know, why do we perform these sins? Or why do we do these sins? It's because we do not fully grasp, we do not fully appreciate, we do not make fully real in our life this aspect of the holiness of God. You know, and, and we have a lot of beautiful songs about this, right? But but we need to pay attention to some of these songs, you know. And one song that I like very much is Open the Eyes of My Heart, Lord. I want to see you, to see you high and lifted up. That's coming right here from Isaiah 6. Shining in the light of your glory, singing, holy, holy, holy. Open the eyes of my heart, Lord. I want to see you. Do we really want to see God? I mean, really? Is that what Isaiah says? Is that what Isaiah is saying? When he's saying, oh, I want to see this. I want to behold it. No. He's falling down. He's saying, don't don't show me any more of this because I I am undone. I am finished. You know, the only reason that we are not consumed before the holiness of God is because of Jesus Christ. Hebrews 4.16 says, uh, you know, that we can approach the throne of grace with confidence and receive mercy and grace. Hebrews 19, uh, Hebrews 10, 19 to 23 says, having boldness, let us draw near to God. But just because we have been saved, just because we have been, that when God looks at us, he doesn't see our sin anymore. Just because when he looks at us, he sees us covered by the blood of Christ. Let's not take advantage of that. Let's not think that we are, that we are not, you know, we are somehow, um, uh, you know, um, that we don't have to worry about this holiness of God. The fact that we serve a holy God, there is going to be a judgment and he is going to judge every sin. God is not only a, a holy and glorious God, but he is a God of judgment. Let's move on to the third point, which is that he is also the God of salvation. He is a God of salvation. And we see that here as we move on in Isaiah 6, verse 6. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a live coal, which he had taken with the tongue, with the tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth with it and said, behold, this has touched your lips. Your iniquity is taken away and your sin purged. Wow. God is also the God of salvation and restoration. And what do we see here in this beautiful scene, this beautiful action of the seraphim? You know, one of the seraphim goes and, 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 and takes a live coal from that fire that's burning in the throne room of God. Okay, and he comes and he touches Isaiah's mouth, you know, fire, you know, touching sin here. And, 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 and he says this, uh, he touched my mouth with it and said, behold, this has touched your lips. Your iniquity is taken away and your sin purged. What a beautiful picture of salvation in Christ. And I said, you know, the Isaiah, the book of Isaiah has all these, these uh, themes and these illustrations of the work of Christ. It's a foreshadowing of the work of Christ. And Raven will talk more about that in detail next week. But God himself provides the means by which our sin can be removed and cleansed because You know, we are helpless in the presence of the holy God. All we can do is fall down. And let me tell you, dear brother, sister, or whoever is listening to me today, if you haven't come to that point, it's not about intellectual understanding. It's not about any of these things. It's about understanding who you are in the presence of God, in the presence of a holy God. It's about uh, confronting your sin. It's about falling down before God, saying, I am undone, and letting him apply to you the, the salvation, redemption through the blood of Christ. All we can do is cry out. We are helpless in his presence. Cry out to him in desperation. And we realize when we realize the magnitude of our sin. And what, what does, what does the, the, cher- the seraphim say? He says, your iniquity is taken away and your sin is purged. Your sin is atoned for. The word purged means atoned for. It's a foreshadowing of God's salvation, redemption in Christ. Our sin is removed by who? By God himself. 
Now Isaiah was afraid of dying. And here we see, you know, Isaiah in the next couple of verses, he speaks up. You know, he, he was speechless. He was crying out, woe is me. Okay. He was going to die. He, he wanted to die in the presence of the Holy God. But, but here he gets boldness. With boldness, we come into the presence of God through the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, all he could see was his sinfulness. And, and, and here we find that, that, that he could converse with God because his iniquities were taken away. God is a God of holiness and, and glory. God is a God of judgment. God is a God of salvation. Do you have a proper view of God? But, you know, we need to go beyond that. What is our response? You know, as I close here, I want to talk about three or four, four or five points here. Our response to God's holiness, his judgment and salvation. First of all, we have to respond to God with a respond, uh, have a response of service to God with our life. God who saves is also the God who calls us. Look at, look at what God himself, finally God speaks. So far it's been the seraphim speaking and Isaiah speaking. And he says, uh, verse 9, um, uh, sorry, verse 8. Also, I heard the voice of the Lord saying, okay, now Isaiah has been cleansed. Isaiah has been redeemed. You know, Isaiah's sin has been purged. His iniquity has been taken away. And here's what God says immediately after that. He says, whom shall I send and who will go for us? Whom shall I send? You know, your salvation, my salvation is not the end of the story. It is to be the beginning of a life of service to God. God is looking for people to serve him. God is looking for the redeemed to serve him, to do his work, to be a part of the work that brings glory to him. And God, this is God's call to you and me today. Whom shall I send and who will go for us? He has a work and he invites us to be part of that work. What a privilege. Do we treat it as a privilege? And what is Isaiah's response? Here am I, Lord. Here am I. Send me. His, his response is immediate. God is a work. And Isaiah says, here am I, Lord. Send me. What is our response to the holiness of God and glory and his glory and his salvation? Are you serving him with your life? What is your life about? What is the goal of your life? What is God's call in this assembly? in your community, in the nation, in the world. You know, maybe God is saying, you know, I need somebody for the Sunday school here. Whom shall I send? I need somebody to engage in teaching ministry and discipleship. Whom shall I send? I need doctors to go to mission hospitals to serve the people and to tell them the gospel of Christ. Whom shall I send? I need teachers to go to Christian schools and teach and, and, and share the gospel with the, with the lost children of the world. Whom shall I send? I need people to go to states where there is no gospel. Whom shall I send? I need people to go to the unreached nations of the world. Whom shall I send? And it's not to go as full-time missionaries. It's, it's even in your workplace. It's even with your jobs. I need people to... To, to do my work in the church, to build up and to strengthen and call people to holy living. Whom shall I send? Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Is that the call? You know, we have so many wonderful examples before us. You know, I was thinking of, of our dear uh, Rebbe and Asha. You know, God gave them that call to Uzbekistan and they could have given so many reasons. But he said, whom shall I send? And they answered, here are we, send us, Lord. Send us, despite all the hurdles, despite all the, the, the difficulties that we have to deal with, we are willing to go. Are you willing to go? Second point, a response of obedience to God's commandments. Now I want to go quickly to Deuteronomy chapter 5. Deuteronomy chapter 5, and this is the scene after they receive after Moses comes down and uh, from meeting God, verse 27 onwards, uh, the, for who is there of all flesh who has heard the voice of the living God speaking? And they go on, uh, verse uh, 20, uh, 28, the Lord heard the voice of your words who, when you spoke to me. And the Lord said to me, I have heard the voice of the words of the people. And what was the, their words? Verse 27, it says, tell us all that the Lord our God says to you and we will hear and do it. And he says, the people have spoken aright. They are right in, in all that they have spoken. Verse 29, look at the heart of God for his people. 
Look at the heart of God for you and me. Oh, verse 29. Oh, that they had such a heart in them that they would fear me and always keep all my commandments, that it might be well with them and with their children forever. A response of obedience. God's desire for his people, as he expressed to Israel, is his desire for you and me. A heart to fear God and to always keep his commandments. To do as the Lord has commanded us to walk in his ways. Very quickly, third point. A response to God's call to his redeemed church. And I don't have time. I'm already over time here. So I'm going to wrap up and you can go and read these verses. Uh, we all know these, these uh, passages. Uh, be holy as I am holy. 1 Peter 1, 13 to 16. This is the standard. What is our standard? Be holy. We just, we just looked at the holiness of God and what it means. And God is calling you. And this is the standard. You know, very often we, we dilute the standard. We think, you know what, I'm better than that person. I'm better than, or I'm better than the person I was two weeks ago or, or, or two years ago. Not good enough. Not good. That's not the standard. Yeah, we, we may never get there you know, to the holiness of God. But that's that's what we need to aim for. That's what we need to keep examining ourselves against. We, God wants us to be obedient children, not conforming ourselves to the former lust. Be holy as I am holy. Go and read First Peter chapter 1, verse 13 to 16. Then this is a command that's given throughout scripture. Okay, you find it in Leviticus, you find it all over scripture, <coughs> where God says, you shall be holy for I, the Lord, your God, am holy. Second one, Ephesians 4.1, walk worthy of the calling with which you are called. You have been called. You have been called to serve me. Walk in that calling. Walk worthy of that calling. Be holy for I, the Lord, your God, am holy. Third point, verse uh, Ephesians 4.17-24, we are to put off the old man. We are to put off the former conduct, the old man, and be renewed in your mind. Put on the new man which was created according to God's God in true righteousness and holiness. Fourth point, walk in the spirit, Galatians 5, 16, 26. And he tells you there what walking in the spirit is, right? Or walking in the flesh is. Do not walk in the flesh, but walk in the spirit, not fulfilling the lust of the flesh. And then at the end of that passage, verse 26, he talks about bearing the fruit of the spirit, love, joy, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control. And then finally, a response to God, God's holiness and his call to his redeemed church. We find in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23 to 25. Please go read that. You'll get these notes. I want you to study this because I am able to dwell on it too much. What does he say there in verse 23? Let us, there's a let, this is a let us passage. In light of what? In light of our access into the holy presence of God. Don't take it for granted that God doesn't destroy you, that you have access into the presence of God through Christ. But let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful. Hold fast to the hope we have, the glorious hope. Secondly, let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. By the way, this last point was not in your notes. It came to me this morning. Um, so you can pencil it in there. Okay, let us consider one another in order to stir up uh, each other to good works. And let us not forsake the assembling of ourselves together, coming together in fellowship and building each other up, discipling each other, helping each other grow, edifying each other. Let us exhort and edify one another. This is the response that God wants, a response of service to him with our lives. He has called us to go. He wants to send us. He's saying to every one of us, you and me, who will go? Whom shall we send? Whom shall I send? Are we willing to say, here am I, Lord, send me? A response of obedience to God's commandments and a response to God's call to his redeemed church. What does your life reveal about your understanding of the holiness of God? Are you answering the call of God to serve, call of God to service with your life? Are you living a holy life in obedience to God's work? How are you responding to God's holiness by the way you are living? I trust that God would speak to us today that, that each of us would ponder on these thoughts and examine our own lives in the way we are living, in the, the way we spend our time, in the amount of time we spend learning the things of God, in the way, in the degree to which we are obedient to the revealed will of God, in the way that we are serving him 
in whatever whatever uh, sphere of life he has placed us in. To know about God's holiness is meaningless. It's only meaningful if you respond to the holiness of God in these ways. May God enable us to do that. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we just want to thank you, Lord, for your goodness and your mercies towards us, Lord. I thank you, Lord, for you are a holy God. I thank you, Father, because you have spoken to us, Lord, uh, from your word. You've given us a glimpse, Lord, of your holiness, something that we take for granted, something that, Lord, in the casualness of life, Father, in the world, we, we, we lose sight of. Oh, Lord God Almighty, I pray that we would never lose sight of who you are, Lord, of, of, of your holiness, Lord, and, and we would respond to that call. Whom shall I send? Whom shall we send? Here am I, Lord. Send me. Lord, I just pray that you would speak to every heart here today so that it will be clear to us what have you called us to. Are you calling us to something different than what we are doing today? Help us to respond, Father, in submission, in humility, in complete trust in you, Lord. Thank you, Father, for the richness of your word. Thank you for revealing yourself to us, Lord. Lord, you didn't need to reveal yourself to us through the scriptures, as we've seen, Lord, in the study from Genesis and now through Isaiah, how much of yourself you've revealed to us because, Father, you desire that intimate relationship with us. You want us to know you, Lord, intimately. But, Lord, may we examine our lives to, to know how much are we responding to what you have revealed to us. Help us, Father, to examine ourselves. Help us to walk in the light of your word. In Christ's most precious and holy name we pray. Amen.